Welcome back to Katie Ficast, episode 12. For this episode, we will be discussing civic engagement. And as always, we hope you enjoy this podcast. And if you have any guests, please be sure to email us at development at akdfialum.org. Uh, so for those of you who have been to other panels, it's me again. I'm your moderator. Uh, my name is Randy. I'm your NAB Professional Development Manager, and I'm also your Kfi Cast host. Um, last time I talked about uh, how I was trying to fix my closet. Well, this time I just moved to Michigan this year, and I got to see the sunset on Lake Michigan. So that was really cool, and it was iced over, totally different from the Florida sunsets. Hello, I am uh, your co-moderator. My name is Erin Lee. I am a spring 19 at um, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm super excited to be here today. I love talking about civic engagement. It's very timely, so I'm excited to see everyone here. So our first guest today on the podcast is going to be uh, Pai Q. Hang, and she's the Chief Program Officer for Boat Run Lead, and we're going to hear a little bit from her soon. We're going to run through all the panelists real quick and jump right into the questions, the good stuff. Uh, we also have Ms. Donna Wang Su, and she uh, crossed spring 2001 from the University of California, Santa Barbara. Next up, we have Helen Tran, um, crossed fall 2001 from the University of California, Santa Cruz. And lastly, we have Gabriella Tran. She crossed spring 2017 from the Rutgers University. Our first question will go to uh, PyQ. And it is, what is civic, civic engagement? Um, how do you start getting involved in your community? Uh, and also, what are the challenges women face uh, when running for office? Great. Well, first off, I want to just thank so much, Erin um, and Randy, for um, inviting me to be part of this panel and for all the organizers who made this podcast series possible. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank the sisters of uh, Katie Five because I'm not a sister, but I thank you so much for your um, welcoming spirit and and um, inviting me to be part of this conversation. So like Randy said, my name is Paku Hang and I'm the Chief Program Officer at Vote Run Lead. We're a national organization that treats uh, that treats that trains women to run for public office. Um, we train over 38,000 women. And last year, over 300 of our alums were um, on the ballot. And surprisingly, like amazingly, 70% of all the women of color that we train that were on the ballot won. And so we're really, really excited about how we support um, intersectional, anti-racist, reform-minded women. And that's kind of what brought me to this space today. So Randy, to your question, what is civic engagement? I'll start, I'll start off with that one first. Um, traditionally, when we think about civic engagement, right, people have used that word to refer to ways that a citizens participate in the life of a community in order to improve conditions in that community for community members or to, you know, shape the community to be better. And oftentimes, um, people think of civic engagement in two ways. They think about it in, in a latent way, so like more benign and a more participatory or active way. And oftentimes when they think about the latent ways of civic engagement, that's actually when they use the term civic engagement. But when they think about the more active ways, oftentimes the word that's used that's a little bit synonymous with civic, civic engagement is political activism. 
And I think for the purposes of this conversation, um, because it is more political and in, in, in kind of like the realm of our democracy and how to make our democracy better, I think of civic engagement more as like a continuum. If you think about it like um, individual power and social power and collective power, all encompassing what civic engagement is, um, more in detail or more specifically, then you know, civic engagement means things like voting, like writing letters to the editor, like volunteering. But it can also mean like being active in the political party, um, joining a separate club, right? And then more actively, actively, um, and really more under the collective power realm, it can mean things like being um, a speaker at a rally or protesting, or like in this case of Helen, running for public office. And so all of these activities encompass um, describe what civic engagement is. And this is really important, especially when we think about American democracy, because this is like one of the things that people thought really describes or sets Americans apart from other democracies. Um, there was this sociologist, a French sociologist called Alex Tocqueville, who visited the United States back in you know 1831. Then he would go and he traveled the whole country and he said, man, these Americans, like they love equality and they love their clubs. And that was one of the big takeaways is that Americans join clubs all the time. They get civically engaged. That was his way of describing American. And so in many ways, like that is a quintessential American char characteristic. So when we think about civic engagement, that's what we're thinking about. We're thinking about ways that people can involve in their communities to improve the community. Now, I think to your second question about you know, how can people get involved in their community even more? I would offer two ways of thinking about this, right? I would say um, the first thing is to receive and the second thing is to give. And like, what do I, what do I mean by this? I think um, so often people just, you know, take what they've learned and they just reproduce the status quo. And what I would challenge um, the sisters and folks who are watching this to think about is how can I receive? How can I receive information? How can I um, reflect on it, refine on it, so that I really understand the motivation, the intentions, that I really understand the context of which I'm observing these activities? And then how do I give? How do I give back, right? How do I show up to make my community better in a way that is really uplifting everyone and not just myself? And um, this is something that's really important, I think, especially in light of what happened this week, what happened in Georgia was just, you know, atrocious. And um, in so many ways, like there are so many words to describe what happened. And then in so many ways, they're, they're, we're speechless. You know, it, it just takes our breath away that um, a person of color's life is dependent on whether a white person is having a bad day or not. When we think about how can we get involved, I want there to be an element of us taking information, but refining it so that we really understand the context, but definitely not forgetting about how we give back and how we give back in a way that lifts everybody up and not just ourselves. And so Randy also then very quickly to your last question about, you know, um, what are some of the challenges? Is that right? What are some of the challenges that face women running for public office? Um, in my analysis, right, I think there are four main challenges that women face when running for public office. Number one is money. So in this country, and given the prolificness, prolificness of money in politics, the, the people who hold money continue to be white men right? Heterosexual white men. And because they understand the world from their perspective, they, and because they hold the money, they are the ones who determine who is politically viable or not. 
So they'll look at two candidates. They'll look at a young Harvard graduate male who studied urban studies, and they'll look at his opponent, who is a maybe an African-American organizer, maybe in her 40s, maybe a single mom. And they'll say, oh, that Harvard boy, he's got political potential. Even though the political organizer, the community organizer, has been in the community for 20 years serving. And so because the people who still have power um, continue to be white men, heterosexual men, that status quo is reproduced. And that's why women, and especially women of color, don't have access to that money. So number one. Number two, one of the challenges that women continue to face are people and networks. Again, because the white heterosexual men are the ones that have the power and that currency, they, again, like to be around people who are, who are like them. So they, again, are reproducing those, so, those same social networks. And within those social networks, that is actually where political knowledge is, is curated, it's, it's transferred, it's exchanged. And so when women, especially women of color, can't get into those networks, we don't have that political knowledge. We don't know when so-and-so is actually going to really resign. We don't actually know, you know so who is really giving money, who are the real donors, because we don't have access, we can't penetrate that wall. So that's number two. Number three, women continue to face challenges because we don't have time. Right. I often think about when I would um, started organizing and um, especially training with Wellstone Action, and we would ask people, we'd say, hey, there's three things. There's money, there's people, there's time. Of three, of these three, which is the most important? And over and over, people would say, oh, money, money, or people, people. They didn't think about time. But then we would ask the question, what is the one thing you can't make more? You can always raise more money. You can always get more volunteers. But can you make more time? And you can't. And time is one of the huge obstacles that women have because unfortunately, and COVID really revealed this, women continue to do disproportionate amounts of housework and they continue to do disproportionate amounts of child rearing. And that is a cultural shift that I think a lot of us thought we were much more advanced than we, than we actually are. I mean, COVID just saw how women um, and their careers are being decimated because so many folks have left the workforce to take care of their families. So that's number three. And then number four is, is self-confidence. And I don't mean this to say that women don't have political ambition because they do. But women, and, and because of our life experiences, we've had to do a lot of cost-benefit analysis, right? And oftentimes women, and especially women of color, when we do that cost-benefit analysis, oftentimes our family lose big. And because of that, we decide I'm not going to run, right? Or I'll run when my kids are um, out of college. Or I run when I'm a PhD, you know, I finish my PhD. We have these notions um, of like, when is a good time to run for the people around us, number one. And number two, because there's no one around us who is in these positions of power that look like us, we, we fall back on those old stereotypes of who are the leaders and especially who are the women leaders. And so because we can't imagine that it could be someone like Helen, a dynamic, you know, Asian American woman, um, or a young woman like some of the sisters here, then we don't think that we are um, reflected in who should be in those positions of, of power. And I think those are the four reasons, right? Number one, money, uh, people, uh, time, and, and political ambition and cost analysis. Those are the main barriers for why women are not running for public office as, as in high numbers as they should be. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, that was very informative. For our next uh, question, we're going to direct it to Helen. And Helen, um, what do you love about your community? What challenges does your community face? And what sparks your community pride? And then to touch a little bit on what 
Paku was saying earlier about um, things that challenges that women face. Uh, perhaps there's, you could share with us a memorable experience or a challenging moment that probably that might have inspired you to be involved in civic engagement and in your community. Wow, I am so happy to be here, Paku. Wow, I love it. Everything that you said was right on. And I just want to say, Randy, Aaron, thank you so much for reaching out and um, really putting this together because uh, one, I am such a proud alumni of um, our KDFI sisters and I, you know, fall 2K1 and I'm just thinking this is just very empowering, you know, empowering our sisters, empowering communities, especially in the Asian American communities as well, um, and women in leadership. Um, I have to tell you, you know, did if you were to ask me five or 10 years ago, if this is what I want to do, I would say no. <laughs> I would, uh, I, if you asked me, you know, uh, when I was in college, um, you know, when I was uh, uh, just in college and, and, and asked what, was, what, what I wanted to do was a third grade teacher. That was my inspiration. Um, I've always wanted to be a teacher as a kid. Uh, growing up, my, you know, my, I, my parents would always instill Helen, help others, give back, you know, focus on your, you know, trying to just family's the most important thing. And so having that in mind, um, it's civic engagement has always something that's in me as a child. And I have to tell you, even what, uh, you know, um, growing up in San Bernardino, that's where I grew up and my parents were refugee immigrants. Um, coming here with nothing. So we have humble beginnings, you know, understanding what that, uh, you know, uh, what, what it meant to not have something, but what we had was the most beautiful thing ever. It was the gold piece is family, love, right? You could persevere through anything, any challenges when you have that. Um, with that, you know, in high school, I was very actively involved in community. Um, Key Club, I, I'm sure you guys know about the Key Club. Um, I was a huge key clubber, um, used to youth programs, peer leadership. And I got to tell you, at senior year in high school, my exposure to politics now, now it's full circle, right? Why am I running? So my senior year in high school, I volunteered for um, a, a campaign as a key club. We were just trying to do civic engagement. And it was uh, Joe Baca Sr. for his congressional special campaign, 1999. I was 17 years old, I got in, and then I met my mentors. They were the ones who ran that campaign and saw potential in me because I was volunteering. They're like, man, you are good. Do you wanna be a paid canvasser? Sure, why not? That's helping my family too. Cause you know, my, my family's source of income was, um, I'm sure you guys are very well uh, aware of this, is the, um, fabric uh, seamstress uh, um, sewing, right? That's what we would we grew up in. I mean, I started sewing in second grade, third grade, I can't remember, but it's around that age. We had four sewing machine in the kitchen. It was like a little, uh, you know, train. Uh, and I maintained my mother language through Chinese drama, by the way, watching those. Uh, <laughs> and, and that was, uh, you know, maintaining my Vietnamese language. And the fast forward, uh, going into volunteering politics at my mentors, they said, Helen, leave San Bernardino, go to college. You can do more. And they really took me under their wings. And the mentorship is so important. Um, and so I ended up following them and worked on so many campaigns, so many just issue-based, candidate-based. And I didn't realize that that was going to come back and help me. You know, so I did that throughout my college years and, you know, during my breaks or if there's stuff in the Bay Area, I went to UC Santa Cruz. Um, and, you know, again, my passion for teacher was still there, right? Because I majored in American studies, minor in education. My inspiration to be a teacher was still there. Uh, Post-college, you know, I actually also 
little, uh, going back, I studied abroad, which is also giving me a broader perspective and things in the world and society. So that was really good. I lived in um, Italy for a year. So that was beautiful, Siena. Um, and then uh, post-college, I ended up working for Bernstein Associates and that was in politics for two full years. And mind you, working in politics, it is, wow, a lot of work. It burns you out um, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And it did burn me out. I, I, after two full years, I decided to, you know, to shift gears, go back home to San Bernardino. And I told myself, I'm going to re, um, you know, uh, go back to the Bay Area because I love the Bay Area. And I said, I was going to find a job. Now, finding a job was not easy. And I ended up um, going to a temp agency in San Bernardino. And they then um, assigned me to a, an assignment in City Hall of San Bernardino. That started my career. That started my HR, that started. So just, I wanna give you the background because that whole thing where I'm at to today is a full circle. What really did it for me to, to tell the truth is like, okay, you know, I moved up so quickly to the top and I gotta tell you as a woman, person of color leader, it is not easy. People think that, you know, oh, you, you know, you, you, it would, you could do more. I said, yes, we could do more, but it's hard when you're not supported. It's hard when you're not being empowered to do your 110%. I gotta tell you when I left San Bernardino um, and then now I work for another agency, I almost got liberated <laughs> to tell the truth. And then I got more empowered to work for a really good leadership. Um, but that's what triggered me to then getting active engaged, right? So let me back forward. And I know I'm jumping a little uh, um, all over the place. Just there's so much to share um, with my, my experience. 2018, when we had an election for a mayor and, you know, really that shift and got out of bankruptcy and so forth, I felt like there was a moment where we almost took steps back and something said to me, and I was holding my three-month-old at the time, he's two now, and uh, it was, I remember writing this in my in journal, and it was uh, January uh, 1st, Saturday, 2.10 a.m., and something told me, Helen's time. That calling started my looking for another job to leave San Bernardino. So then that way I can be more actively engaged. And so when that happened and I finally left, um, I immediately got involved. I was a, a, became a parks um, a recreation community services commissioner, uh, trying to understand what it is to be from, from a resident standpoint and as a um, someone, you know, a commissioner to kind of help uh, facilitate uh, the city's organization and the community. Um, I got to tell you, there's a lot of work. Uh, there's a lot to be done. And, you know, I really just got more engaged in helping other campaigns and just really trying to get uh, folks um, in, in roles where they can create impact, right? And also help the city that I really care and love, um, which is San Bernardino. And this city is so beautiful. There's so many resilient um, um, community members in the city that just want to, that has so much hope, right? They are hardworking communities. Um, it is a poor community because the medium house, uh, income household is 45,000. So you can imagine, you know, a, how all of these challenges, everything that I've shared from my professional standpoint into from a community, from a community member, it's a very complex city. And I think what triggered me because of my understanding, because of my, my um, you know, my passion to just serve, 
um, all of that and my knowledge of the city and my exposure of politics, all that come full circle to really push me to run for office. Um, and so I, uh, because of that, I opened my committee in January. The election is not until June of 2022, uh, but I knew I had to start early because it's a lot of work. You have to build the capacity. And so me coming out early was to create that building the capacity. And like Pakal said, you know, there's a lot of things that's gonna be very tough because how do you tap into those money resources? How do you tap into those folks who will be behind you? And I knew that, and I knew that that was going to be very challenging, but it's not, it's doable. And you just have to get yourself out there, pull all those support behind you say, hey, will you help me to fundraise? Will you help me to connect to folks who I can understand and what I've done effectively was really reaching out to everyone, not be afraid, right? So not being afraid, uh, be brave and courageous and just get out there and show that passion. Um, and every folks that I've met and talked to, they could feel it. They're like, wow, you know what you're talking about. You know what has happened and you are really running for the right reasons. Absolutely. If I was in it for money and power, I did not have to leave my director position. Good paying job. You know, I know challenges from understanding what my parents have to gone through, coming here with nothing to something, right? And then that's something as the, us as kids, because my mom keeps telling me, the proudest thing that they, they've done is to raise us and to have a job and to be happy, have our own families. Those are basic things. And so if we recognize when a community is lacking the support and resources to help them thrive in a more poor community like San Bernardino, I know I can really just really help facilitate that, help pull the um, bridging the relationships, pushing people to say, hey, let's keep moving forward. Let's keep moving forward because the cities around San Bernardino are thriving. And so I asked the question like, what's going on here? So I meet community members around our neighboring cities and like, they're like, Helen, you know, it's a lot of work. You got to pull all these folks together, keep moving forward. And so me as a professional HR and, and risk management, mediating all the time daily in my professional work uh, with the unions, with management employees, that can play a really huge role, right? Because that you have to understand the complexities of people, personalities, and uh, sometimes their egos and all of that. It's like, okay, I hear you. I know you really want to get here, but we got to come together and get to the bigger uh, goal of making our city thrive, shine, be safe and healthy for our children because I'm a mother, mother of three. Um, and so I understand that. And uh, you know, it, it's just uh, really um, fulfilling for me to be, be able to do this. And I, I have to tell you, I have a, a overwhelm, overwhelming love and support behind me. And that's gonna keep me going. Um, it's not to say that there's not gonna be challenges there are. Um, I tend to tell folks that I may be poking the grizzly bear in the, in the feeding ground, <laughs> but you know, it, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's great. So um, let's see what challenges, some other things that I wanna share in the chance I, I mentioned that we're a poor community. We also have 11.9% um, of our demographics have college education. That is very low. 69.4% um, have, have graduated high school. Um, so 31% of our residents don't have high school degrees. So you're, you know, recognizing the, the community in a way where say, okay, we see that, where do we have to work on? Workforce development. 
How do we engage in a way where we help our youth to inspire them and to really push them to uh, go for higher education or where's the resources so I can uh, have, uh, you know, um, uh, livable wages where I can afford my home and, and live in community and thrive, right? And uh, be able to have a family and support them. So recognizing those things, those the, the weakness and strength of your city is important. Um, let's see, what sparks your community pride? I think I pretty much sparked it, didn't I? <laughs> so I hope um, I really touched it. <laughs> Helen, thank you so much. Um, that was a lot of information. And uh, I know listening to you, I was definitely inspired, uh, especially hearing about all the challenges you went through. Um, but that leads us into perfectly for our next question. Um, Paiku, what are some of the skills or habits that uh, we could develop so we can grow into a leadership position? So I want to offer five things that you all can do. Um, and these are things that are really teased out in the module that Vote Run Lead, Vote Run Lead has called um, Ready to Run, right? Um, I'm sorry, our 90-day challenge. And the first thing I want to encourage people to do is get informed. So what that means is like, you know, start reading the newspaper, whether it's a national newspaper, a local newspaper, maybe it's a blog, but start getting informed about the issues around you. Number two, get connected, go and do informational interviews, um, go and meet people, ask them for coffee. Uh, people love to talk about themselves, right? So, um, so, so kind of leverage that ego and ask people questions and literally talk to people. I know in the age of COVID, that's very hard, but still a phone call is wonderful. So, um, so get connected with people. Number three, get involved right? Join clubs, join activities, um, volunteer to take notes, something if you're just a beginner, something, but get involved so that you can be see, you can see kind of in-person action. And the number four, act, right? Do something with what you are feeling, what you're thinking, what has been given to you, right? Remember I talked about how you have to receive all that receiving, now, now act on it. And then number five, stay active. I think, you know, Helen, you talked really eloquently about how the work is really hard and oftentimes it can burn people out and that's okay. But we have to think of our lives and the work in politics, especially as seasons. And so once you have this knowledge, act on it. Maybe you have to step out a little bit just to reconnect or to recalibrate, but get back in the game and get, um, get active and stay active. I love that answer. Um, hearing you just like how to be involved. I think it's very true, right? People love to talk about themselves and people are always like, oh, how do you strike up a conversation? You know, just uh, start with a compliment, grab a cup of coffee. I know I love getting coffee, uh, but that leads us into a great segue into uh, Donna. I know that we would love to hear how did you specifically get involved in politics? And could you share a little bit about um, your journey with the school board and what experience you have? So most of you in the KDFI um, universe, you know me as I was a charter class for the University of California, Santa Barbara. I, after, I graduated in 2002, but then I served on national capacity for 14 years. You know, I was part of the inception of our very first alumni board. Um, eventually, I, even, I was also part of expansion. I was a UM Maryland big sis, uh, Purdue dad, Duke mom, but I also served on national board too. And I was on board of directors um, 14 years of service. But on the other side, um, my full-time job currently, I've been working this whole time while serving Katie Phi, 
I'm currently the Associate Director of Operations and Adjunct Lecturer at the Farley Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Northwestern University. Now, it's hard to say where I got started, my political ambitions. Um, I, I've always been one of those people that's just always involved. I believe that if you are able, you are responsible. And Paiku, so many things that you said, I was just like, yeah, yeah, I've done that. And it's just been like, just a compilation of so many things. You know, I ran for student council when I was in middle school. Um, I, was, I got these buttons made and that kind of reminded me of like, you know, trying to hot glue safety pins to like pieces of cardboard. I would say KD5 really gave me a platform to, to really test my leadership with women and also remotely because KD5s aren't just within the US, we're all over the world. I think for me, I, like I said, I've just always been involved in everything. I, I've, we moved to Evanston, which is just north of Chicago back in 2006. And almost immediately, you know, I joined our condo association board because if our money was gonna be spent, I wanted to know where it was gonna be spent and how. I eventually went back to get my master's in public policy um, and administration focusing on nonprofit. And I did that part-time while working and two young kids. And yeah, I was board of directors for KD5 then. So a little of everything. But at the same time, before I went back from my MPPA, what also was um, supporting that was I had volunteered and was appointed to one of the boards by the mayor. So a total volunteer position. I was on the minority and women business development committee. So, you know, supporting that. And I saw how effective and fulfilling that was for me to do that as my kids actually know ever since they were little I was always involved I was on the board for like the parent circle um, which is another nonprofit for families with young children um, I served on another committee here or board here in Evanston um, hip circle hip circle for empowering women so there's just always been this constant involvement whether it's been in my kids PTAs or within the you know, city of Evanston. Currently I sit on like the Housing and Community Development Act. So I would just say it's just been a compilation of constantly working in my community. As for school board, you know, my kids have been in District 65. So that is kindergarten through eighth grade. And we have 18 schools in our district. Um, and I've pretty much always served on the PTA. About four years ago, I got involved with the PTA Council, which is an umbrella organization over all 18 schools um, and their PTAs. So working with their leadership. And I saw how I could challenge things where we were sitting there listening to the D65 green teams and they're talking about sustainability and recycling. And I just kind of looked around and I was, and I couldn't help but think I was treasurer then. I was like, we're spending money right now on these plastic water bottles and these little snacks. You know, we need to be better. And we need to, if we're gonna support this green teams, we need to actually make an effort for it. So we actually ended up cutting our refreshments budget um, to practically nothing. And we ended up coming up with a $500 grant to give to the green teams. And I think being able to work around that. And I remind people that school board is really important because yes, mayor's important, your older people are important, but for the city of Evanston and Skokie, about 23% of our property taxes go to city services, but 67% go to our, you know, they need to be equitable and 
good quality and competitive because we still want to be able to attract people here. And at the same time, we also need fiscally responsible you know, board members because these are elected officials that will support the district administration. So my election is coming up. It's in like two weeks and two days, um, April 6th. So it's a little crazy, uh, but, and it's very hotly contested um, contest here. There's four positions open, but there's eight candidates. And there's so many questions. There's just a lot. I think the best way to describe it is that Evanston is very diverse. You have something like 56% white, but then you have, um, I want to say like 30% black. There's like like maybe 10% Asian, 10% Hispanic. Um, so it's just such a diverse place to be in. And so there's a lot of different dynamics. We also border uh, Lake Michigan, Randy. So you've got those really nice expensive houses that have their own private beach and lakefront property. And then on the other side, you have those that are bordering you know, Chicago and there are four Title I schools out of the 18, actually no five, including the middle school, which means that 30% or more of that student population is on free and reduced lunch. So it's definitely a strong mix there. I would say, you know, exactly what Paiku was saying, you know, get involved. If you're interested in something, like volunteer for it. You know, whether it's being able to just go to a city council meeting and learning about something. You know, right now in Illinois, by the way, if anyone's in Illinois, there's the TEACH bill that's going um, to hearing on Tuesday, and that is for bringing Asian American history into our elementary school curriculum. Because already the LGBTQIA plus curriculum is in our um, history, and so is the you know, Black Lives Matter movement and our Black history and Latinx history. And you know what? I think Asians are next. So fill out a witness slip if you can. Thank you so much, Jana. Um, I think that really helps leads us into the next question. You guys are doing great with these questions. I don't have, my transitions are so well-timed. Um, so the next question will go to Pai Q. Um, so perhaps getting involved, you know, we know that it can be intimidating and, you know, where to start, but we all want to join something in order to, um, you know, incite some change of some sort. So how do we build coalitions in order to affect change? You know, once we get involved, like how do we begin to, uh, I guess, start the wheel for change? <laughs> Great, that's a really good question um, because sometimes we have to date, right? Before we can get married, or at least that's like what it's supposed to be. And so what I wanna do is I, I wanna offer eight suggestions or checklists about um, both like how to start dating, but also how to, um, how to critique if this is the right thing for you, right? And so number one is if you were thinking about as coalitions or as an organization, you're thinking about joining coalitions or forming coalitions, number one, you want to make sure that the people that you want to be in unity with have a shared goal. And sometimes those shared goals can be like the same outcome. So maybe let's say, for example, we might be a community group that's very progressive and traditionally we're not in, in, um, in community or in alliances with the chamber. But because both of us want to get a light at a certain corner, we're going to be in community with each other, right? So it can be about uh, an outcome, but it can also be about issues. We're all maybe from different parts of town, but we all care about school reform. So we're going to work on this issue together. So number one on these like best practices, checklists, is make sure there's shared goals, 
right? Where the goals can be an outcome, an issue, but there's some kind of commonality. Number two, I want you to really think about um, your own self-interest and then identify the self-interest of the folks that you want to be in coalition with. And what do I mean by self-interest, right? I'm, when I talk about self-interest, I'm not talking about selfishness, right? Selfishness is something like, well, what's in it for me? It's all about me. And the opposite of that is selflessness, right? Where you're like, oh, I'm a martyr. This is not about me at all. This is only about um, like the people or only about, you know, the cause. I'm, I'm not talking about either of these things. I'm talking about self-interest where you're thinking, what is my stake in the game, right? And how does that stake in the game connect to like the larger campaign, the larger outcome? And when we talk about community organizing, that's the tradition that I come from. Self-interest is really important because it then allows you to create situations where it's a win-win, a win-win for you and a win-win for your allies, right? So number one is make sure you have shared goals. Number two is make sure that you identify your self-interest and you identify the self-interest of the people you want to be in coalitions or community with. Number three, share resources. And by share resources, I mean really share money. You know, before um, coming to Vote Run Lead, I was the co-founder and executive director of a nonprofit called the Hmong American Farmers Association. And we supported Hmong farmers. We were a membership-based organization. And oftentimes, all these white organizations would come to us and they're like, Paku, will you guys join us in like this and this project and this and this project? And I'd be like, oh, we would love to. You know, when are you writing the grant? You know, are, are we going to get a cut of that budget? And they were like, but isn't this what you guys do? And I'm so sick, especially women of color, I'm so sick of people exploiting our goodness, right, our commitment to our community and thinking that's free. And so when you think about coalitions and being in coalition with people, think about how you are sharing resources equitably, right, and not taking things for granted. Number five, maybe share work. Right. I mean, there is nothing like a crumbling marriage when you feel like there is one person is doing more than the other. The same thing in coalitions. Right. There has to be equity. And if not and if not equity, there has to be clarity and transparency about who is doing what type of work, not only because later on you want to share credit, but also because you do know what is happening so that everybody has a role and a certain type of responsibility. And it's clear who's doing what so that there's not miscommunication. Um, I think maybe number six is share credit, right? Um, share credit because oftentimes, and gosh, as Asian women, we, we know this so well, oftentimes people do a lot of work and they don't get acknowledged for it. And it's almost as if the work doesn't matter and that they don't matter, but that's not true. And that one of the most powerful things you can do is to acknowledge people's work. You know, I really learned about political organizing from working on Senator Paul Wellstone's campaign. He was a US Senator from Minnesota. And unfortunately he died very tragically in 2002, um, 13 days before he, he was gonna be reelected. And I, I remember as an organizer for him, one of the things that really stuck with me is how he, all, he started everything, every speaking engagement, every, Every time he was with just the staff, he, he would thank people. And he would not just think like the campaign manager and the VIP, he thanked the people that he knew was doing the real hard work. And I just, I love that man because I, I felt like he saw me. And so number one, share, and so as part of that checklist is share credit. Right. Another really wonderful um, practice as now that you're in community or in a coalition is check in with each other. 
right? Check in with each other, not only about how folks are feeling, how they're thinking, you know, are we still on track with this campaign, but check in with each other because that's a way for you to reassess the context and recalibrate or calibrate accordingly so that you still have the goal in mind, but you might have to change your tactics or possibly even change your whole strategy. And then lastly, evaluate right? And make sure that you are still on course and, and think about what's going well, but also what can be improved because nothing is perfect. And then last but not least, you have to celebrate. We don't do enough of that. And especially in coalitions, when we are in community, we have to celebrate our victories, even as small as they are, because we're in the long haul, right? I mean, change to improve our community is a, is a long-term um, fight, unfortunately. And we have to mark our victories where we are. So they are shared goal, number one, share number two, shared self-interest, identify self-interest. Number three, share resources. Number four, share work. Number five, share credit. Number six, check in with each other. Number seven, evaluate and improve. And then number uh, nine, sorry, there were nine, celebrate. Celebrate your victories. Thank you so much. Um, I, I love bullet points. So I know I was taking notes, you know, making my list. But I think this uh, these nine bullet points are really great um, like places to get started. But I think Gabby would be great to answer this question because she's, I believe, welcome to Chinatown. She's already established all these nine points. So we would love to hear more uh, from Gabby now, um, specifically, you know, her story, advice, how she got involved with Welcome to Chinatown um, and her community. And why is it so important for our generation now? The time is now to get involved. So uh, Gabby, floor is yours. Thanks, Randy, for introducing me. Um, so I resonate with everything that all the other panelists have said so far um, with being an Asian woman and being civically engaged. It's definitely very powerful and everything that everyone has said so far is very true and still applicable. Um, so the way that I got involved with nonprofits and philanthropy and you know civic engagement was actually pretty funny was, you know, Helen briefly touched upon this, how, um, the career path that you take, you don't necessarily choose. You kind of just stumbled upon it. And I feel like I also personally stumbled upon this as well. Um, originally I went to school, uh, I went to college entering, uh, on the pre-med track thinking that I would be study. I would study to become a doctor and go into medical school. However, one day, uh, during my freshman year, during the cultural, uh, not the cultural, the career fair, I walked in and I saw this, uh, this group called Globe Med. And I was like, oh, medicine, med. Um, you know what? I'll put my name down. I feel like the way that I tell everyone was when I was a freshman, I wasn't really the most open-minded person. I did not really know much going on in the political world. I did not understand anything. I I considered politics very messy and I was like, I don't want to get involved in that. That is not for me. I, nothing. I was like, nah. Um, but then I got involved with GlobeMed and little did I know, GlobeMed really taught me a lot of the foundations that I have. Um, GlobeMed is a student-run nonprofit, but it taught me a lot of the foundations that I have today for my civic engagement, how to get involved in a grassroots student organization on campus, how to campaign on campus for matters that you care about, and finding a purpose, finding a cause that you really want to fight for. And I feel like you know, that kind of leads me on into my answer on how to get involved in your community. It's like, it's really, ultimately, it all boils down to like, just do it. 
you know, like if you're thinking about it, if you feel passionate towards a cause, if you feel, you know, if you feel moved by something, you know, just do it, you know, go find an organization who that might be fighting for the same cause. Uh, join a club if you're still in school, if you are graduated, if you're alumni, you know, get involved with your PTA, you know, just find ways that you can interact and how you can make your voice be heard. Because I feel like now more than ever, it's more important for our voices to be heard, you know, especially after the Georgia incident, incident this past week. And also with, you know, everyone, all the other panelists saying how like, you know, culturally as Asian American women, we don't really brag about ourselves. We don't really let our voices be heard. We now more than ever is the time where we come together as a community, come together as Asian women and really let our voices be heard. Um, and I feel like it's more important to do it together as a community because, you know, your voice is only so loud as one person, but when you come together, it really amplifies yourself and you have all that support and empowerment behind you. And that's, it, it just makes yourself even more powerful. And that's why I think that you should just get involved, you know, just do it. Thank you so much, Gabby. Um, I want to thank everybody for uh, all the panelists for here today. We have a little bit of time left for some uh, Q&A. So I'm going to open up the floor or if we had any questions come through. We've got to thank you. Uh, yes, our panelists are incredible. I agree. I learned a lot. Um, very rich information today. Um, we'll also be sending out um, an email with all the panelists, uh, social media handles or ways that you can uh, connect with them, but I'm going to give them a chance if they want to say something specifically to let you guys know uh, if you want to um, get in touch with any of the panelists. So I'll kind of let them uh, wrap up, say what they want to. Uh, we'll start with uh, Paiku. Sure. Well, again, I just want to thank everybody for inviting me to be part of this panel. I want to thank Gabby and Donna and Helen for being so bold and like so audacious in your leadership. And uh, Randy and Aaron, I thank you for organizing this panel. Um, I said to the sisters before we started that I I really felt after what happened last week that I needed to be in a place of healing and just being reminded of like where we came from and all the amazing work that women, especially Asian women have done for not just our families and our community, but for like the larger society. It just, it, it just so fills me with like hope, right? Cause we've been here before and we've persevered. So we'll, we'll do it again. Um, and I just wanted to leave with one story. Um, so just like Gabby, when I was growing up I, I was studying um, political science at Yale and I was like, oh, it's so dirty afterwards. And I wasn't gonna touch American politics. I was like, oh, it's so gross. And I studied like comparative politics, right? I was very, I was very, I don't know, like very ambitious. And when my cousin decided to run, my cousin was an immigrant in this um, area that was mostly working class. And she'd been involved in all these campaigns and none of the political parties, none of the political kind of actors would help her. And so in our family, there are 71 first cousins. And so she's like, I'm the oldest of you all. And all these years I helped you. So I need you to help me. And just by a fluke and total nepotism, I became her campaign manager. And when I became her campaign manager, I didn't know anything about politics. I would watch West Wing because I was 
was really in love with Josh, the character in West Wing. And I was like, that's how I learned. And we didn't know how to do any of, of these political campaigns, but we knew from what our parents taught us. We knew how to talk to our members. We knew how to care for people and relatives in our family. So my uncle was a doctor. So we used his office because he had a bunch of phones. My auntie was a um, lawyer. She had also had a bunch of phones in her office. So we did that. One of my uncles was a realtor and he said, hey, you always, you can always tell who moved in the community when the water gets turned on and the electricity gets turned on. So we went to those places and we found out all these people who moved into my cousin's neighborhood and we went and knocked on their door and introduced them uh, to my cousin. And that's how she won. And she became the first Hmong in the history of America and our people to be a state legislator. So I share that story to say that in many ways, getting involved politically can be very daunting. And just like what Gabby said, you don't know anything, but the truth is you, you have done it. You've always done it. We may not have called it phone banking. We may not have called it door knocking, but we called it getting involved in our communities. We called it taking care of our family. And those innate skills are the very skills that are gonna make you win for mayor, for school board members. Those are the very skills that then carry you over and make you become the best community leader that you are. So I just wanna remind people that it's in you already. And at Vote Run Lead, we have this model called run as you are, because we really believe that you are enough and what you have, that's enough to carry and to shine. So I just wanna leave people with that with that thought. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Helen? Oh, Paku, I love everything that you say. And then, you know, it's just, we have to definitely connect after. Um, I, I really want to also add into that women, um, we need more women leadership. We need especially more women, Asian American women, I have to tell you, um, because we are very small in numbers and, we we are so qualified um you know women tend to just second guess and start questioning themselves and you don't need to you are already there and you just gotta just get in there and there's you're, you're gonna have so much support i'll support each and every one of you if you want to run if you need someone who's there to be by your side because pulling out once you go out there and you're genuine you're real they're gonna feel it they're gonna see through the bs so just, you know, if you feel something's wrong and you want to get up there and step up and lead, do it. And, you know, I, I, I keep telling my daughter, you know, she's 11 and I, you know, she'll go through, it's like, well, I don't feel comfortable. I said, you know, uh, second guess herself. I said, well, why are you second guessing yourself? You could do this, Holly. You can. And it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay not to be perfect because we're all imperfect. Now, those are the things that we have to really remind ourselves is that we are all imperfect, but we can always do better. And, uh, it, you know, it, this is this is beautiful. And I love the space. Thank you so much, um, Aaron and Randy, for putting this together and having met a wonderful woman, Donna, Cynthia, Pakal, um, uh, oh my gosh, Gabrielle, and, and everyone. And those who are here, I'm just proud to be a, um, a K-5 sister and I'm uh, to be here by your side and if whatever support you need. So let's do this, ladies. We got this. Let's do this. Uh, thank you, Helen. Um, Donna? I want to just echo everything that Paku, Paiku and Helen, you said. Helen, I don't know if you remember, we met almost 20 years ago because my big sis is Marcel and one of my sibs is Jen Chan, who married Bin. Um, I was there, but I really want to echo this. You are enough. You are at the table. I don't want you to feel the imposter syndrome. You know, I have felt it so many times. I don't know how many of you got the, oh, you look so young. You know, how old are you again? What's your experience? 
and I used to feel like I had to justify my seat at the table. I had to be like, I have this degree and you know that certificate. No, I am here, I am enough. And I got the whole, you know, I have the RBF and I got, I gotta admit, you know, the Katie Fi active face, can't help it. And the best tip I think that another female um, political figure gave me was, you know, when you're just sitting there, people are watching your face. So maybe just put your tongue against your front two teeth and it kind of almost creates like a natural smile, but not like a full smile. So it's a good thing to do while you're just sitting there. You could just try it right now. You know, put your tongue against your front two teeth. It kind of forces that. So, you know, just random tip. Um, and, you know, the cultural struggles. For me, hearing that from a friend that she had no idea that I was dealing with racism, my family and I, you know, this past year, I have filed a total of 17 Asian hate crimes in my neighborhood in Chicago with, and you know what makes me so angry is the majority of them are with my nine-year-old daughter. And that is heartbreaking. But you know what, when I share about these things, I'm contacted by the older generation, you know, um, that are like, oh, I prefer that you not share these things. Don't talk about these things. And a part of me is like, no, we need to, you know, I get that we say, you know, tsuku, eat bitter, or so means we have to save face. But the thing is, like, if we don't speak up, who is going to speak up for us? We need this allyship. And lastly, hello, you guys are all AKD5 sisters. Paiku will make you an honorary one today. Um, <laughs> you guys know how to run things. You guys know how to rush. Talk to absolute strangers. Advocate for different things. I mean, how many of you knew about our national philanthropy, you know, about breast cancer awareness until Katie you know, you advocated for yourself and maybe your sisters for positions, maybe vying for that new member educator. You learned about like that natural mentorship with, you know, new sisters as they entered the house. You learned about leadership, meeting people and working with people that you probably would have never met if it wasn't for the sorority. So I'm just gonna leave it with, you are enough. You have so much that you're capable of and don't ever sell yourself short. Thanks, Donna. And last but not least, Gabby. Yeah, I thank you everyone for having me here. And I definitely resonate with, again, with everything that everyone else has said so far. I think just hopping off of what Paku said earlier, um, how we all have these skills innately in us and also wrapping, kind of tying it back to being like a Katie Five sister. I feel like as Katie Five sisters, you know, we all have these skills inside of us. Um, something that another Katie Five sister has said before, you know, something as mundane as knocking on small businesses doors to ask them for a sponsorship for your BCA, like breast cancer event. That's the equivalent to campaigning for mayor campaigning for whatever position you want to go to it's you know that's a that's that activism that you need um lo and behold like a lot of the skills that we use as actives you know that's the same skills that we can really hone in on and use for our civic engagement and you know use that to be civically engaged um i feel like what's great about being a Katie Five sister is not only do we have that foundation and we have those skills and we use those skills during our active career, but we also have that support from sisters that we need. Like something that my chapter recently did in light of recent events was to have like uh, an open heart, you know, just having a Zoom call and have every alum from like when we first started back in 2000, um, to recent sisters who were still in active house, we just really just poured our feelings out and 
that's how we stay civically engaged. It might be a little bit more latent, but you know, we have that support of one another. And I think that's so important, especially with being an Asian woman is having that support and we got each other's back. So, you know, if anything, we all got each other's backs no matter where we're from. Thank okay. you, Gabby. Um, I'm gonna let Aaron, my wonderful uh, co-host, give a last spiel and then we'll kick it to Cynthia for some announcements at the end. Yes, thank you so much to the panelists for coming and volunteering their time and dealing with my incessant emails over the last uh, several weeks. Thank you to all the attendees who took some time out of their Sunday to attend. As always, we do run a podcast. Um, so if you have a topic that you would like us to discuss or you want to nominate a guest, please feel free to reach out to us. I'm going to drop uh, Randy's email in the chat just so everyone has that and we are still looking for an audio editor to join our team so if you have those skills or you are willing to learn uh, please send us an email at the same address thanks everyone hello everyone um thank you everyone for staying on and thank you to the panelists my name is Cynthia I am the NAB alumni events manager and one of the things um, that we want to talk about is that the, the AKE5 Foundation has launched our inaugural mental health awareness and support fundraising campaign to benefit, to benefit our grant program. And it will focus on programming and orgs providing mental health awareness and support for minority communities. And given the recent events, particularly to anti-Asian hate crimes, we have also determined that we will focus these funds towards rebuilding the AAPI community and supporting projects and organizations who have been affected by these hate crimes. And so um, after the event, we will also send an email with more information about the AKD5 Foundation. And uh, thanks again for coming. I know I enjoyed it so much. I feel like the world is at my fingertips right now and I can do anything. I feel super empowered. <laughs>